Hello, everybody. I'm James Harper, and you're listening to the SCA podcast. Today's episode is part of our SCA lecture series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at SCA Specialty Coffee Expo and World of Coffee events. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode was recorded live at the 2018 Specialty Coffee Expo in Seattle. To learn more about this year's schedule of lectures and to get your tickets, visit coffeeexpo.org. That's coffeeexpo.org. Owning and operating a coffee business is a sexy idea, but many operators are too bogged down working in our business instead of working on our business. In this lecture, Andrew Goff tells us his business story using real data and shares a simple tool for monitoring your business markers. Andrew Goff founded Wichita-based Reverie Roasters in 2013 after spending nearly a decade in the financial services industry. Two years after opening his coffee roaster retailer, Andrew joined his team full-time, and Reverie Coffee Roasters has grown into an award-winning company. It's determined to solve the struggles of its city through community engagement and by promoting civic pride. And also, I will jump in at one point to help you follow along in this podcast. Okay, Andrew, take it away. Uh, We've exceeded capacity. So those of you that are here got here early. uh, That was smart. Um, There's a lot of people that got turned away. So that tells me something, that this is a relevant topic to maybe something that you're experiencing. Um, And over the course of the last few days, uh, I've met a lot of people who have expressed that to me. So I'm very fortunate to be here, and I want to thank each and all of you for taking time to be here uh, to talk about what I consider to be a relatively hard conversation to have either with yourself, but especially with your uh, business uh, partners, meaning your your employees in your community. My name is Andy Goff, and I am uh, the uh, founder of a small company in Wichita, Kansas called Reverie Coffee Roasters. Um, why am I here? Um, literally sitting in a room with some of the most decorated people in coffee, and, and I'm just some small guy uh, from Wichita who happens to just get lucky with a really sweet title for a, a topic. Um, <laughs> Because it is probably one of the cooler topic titles, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit egotistical on that. Uh, I'm a play on words. Um, But it actually really is uh, a relevant topic title. It's $5, please, sir. Um, Because I think every business owner, ultimately, at the end of the day, is trying to make a journey through coffee or through their business into this profitability place, but nobody really likes to talk about it that way. Business is not the most sexy topic or the financial aspect of our business because it speaks to a lot of things that our employees and our customers, we don't want them to hear about this. We don't want them to know that we are here to make a living and to make money. Um, The problem with all this is, is if we don't have that conversation, then people won't take it seriously and they won't ever get you to the point where you can actually do this in what I consider to be a sustainable way. So we can have sustainability conversations about all kinds of aspects of the business. I spent two days at Rico Symposium, and I've done that for three years now as my intro to the coffee world, and I've learned about all of the complexities of coffee and how hard it is to do it. But yet, without someone selling that product and doing it in a way they can continue to do it, it ain't going to work. At least it's not for you. And if it's me, and I'm being as real as I possibly be right now, I have at stake my wife and my two children, my house, my cars, 
the multiple lines on my cars that we've had to do, uh, the credit cards that we've used to start our business, and somewhere in the neighborhood of half a million dollars worth of debt that I have to pay and make debt payments on every single month. And beyond that, let's get to the bigger conversation, is the $50,000 of payroll I make every two weeks to our 56 employees. I feel like I have a personal uh, – I owe them you know, the, the, their right to a career and a life. And so um, I, I take it real serious. So I could have come and talked about my impact on the coffee community and the little ways we do it by making awesome coffee. In fact, I'll just kind of introduce you to my brand and my business a little bit. Um, and I'll have you pay attention to one thing. We just kind of – read. We changed our business into uh, – we grew up a little bit in the last few months and few years. Um, and the aesthetics in our business have kind of been brought up to what I would consider the third wave to be, you know, like a really pretty place to go hang out and drink coffee like we see a lot of your businesses do. Um, but we forget that um, there's this whole other side of the business. Uh, this is my coffee shop. I was just going to tell you about it real quick so I'll, I'll get off topic very quickly. Uh, started in 2013. Um, I was a business guy. I came out of – I tell people I was a business guy. I actually worked as a financial education coordinator uh, for a 401K company. So those of you that came out of, of you know, a real job world into coffee, recognize your 401K plan. I was the guy that came and taught you about saving an extra dollar. You know, I didn't get too deep on a uh, conversation of uh, a, a P&E or a um, – you know, like what's the beta of a 401k mutual fund? Like that didn't, that wasn't relevant to people that didn't have enough money for time. And it was, you need to spend $10 less a week and then you can retire with enough money. So you don't have to go work for the rest of your life. So I, I did that for uh, almost 12 years, but two and a half of those years I did at while I was running my business that I started with a partner. And so we, we grew up just recently. Um, we went through a rebranding, um, improved our product packaging, started a second location, um, separated our roastery from our experience. This is a little offshoot cafe that we created in a um, mixed-use residential and, and commercial real estate property in our the heart of our downtown as an amenity to those, those tenants. Um, we call it Cafe de Kiva, and then we opened a bakery as part of that expansion project. We relocated, um, kind of following suit with hey, customers are asking for more. What do they need? Well, they need food to go with their coffee. Those of you that are not in business, might, you, you're probably thinking, okay, this, I'm going to open a coffee shop that just, just does nothing but sell coffee. We are gonna we're gonna change the way it works, and then you know let me tell you what happens after that. Six months later, you're gonna say, "Hey, I gotta sell some cookies or something because you cannot sell you can't do it enough, right?" Okay, so that's where the bakery came, and that's after five years of ask, asking that question. And we didn't just do like you know the scones and all that stuff came first. Um, I hired a Culinary Institute of America trained chef to come work for me, and now I have a uh, baker that's um, on the team as well. And she does, or she's from uh, Le Cordon Bleu. I sadly and excitingly have the most decorated kitchen in all of our community of half, half a million people. And we're just a coffee shop, which is kind of fun. So that's because we do cool stuff. And I didn't have the best photos of the pastries there, um, but the bread is amazing. Um, I had to start a service company because when you have a lot of assets, they break. And also when you are a roaster retailer, you, you sell equipment and you need to service these things. We also get into office coffee. We serve probably about 90 different wholesale accounts. But we're still a small company. Um, so that's a little bit about my company and where we come from. So I wanted to throw that out there. We've had to develop this over time. Um, but one thing that was you know, really um, a problem for, for us 
was when we, we started to look at like, all these things that I just showed you, they're all very much so aesthetically pleasing. They're designed for the customer experience and even so for your, your employees, the people that come to work for you, to give them this place they know. Like, like they come from one shop to another. They're usually coming because you're doing something that they, they desire um, and they weren't getting at their old place. They hit the ceiling and now they're going to find it better. So you have to create nice spaces. You have to use the best equipment um, and improve, 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 improve. But then we, we kind of forget about this other side of it as an owner. And that's the, the business talk that I, I kind of want to share with you today. So um, let's get real serious for a moment. Um, I, uh, I, I'm not a very serious guy, but, um, sometimes I can be, um, you'll see me up here, maybe not, you know, smiling, uh, but I'm really intentional and passionate about what I do, but I'm also like really down to earth, had some really interesting conversations with our roommates here in um, Seattle, uh, the last few days. Um, but I, uh, I, I took a test a while back. Um, I took a, uh, the Gallup's entrepreneur, entrepreneurial indicator. Have you, have you taken that? Um, it's part of an uh, accelerator program, and that was the first thing they did. And the goal of this was to identify the top four things that you as an as a entrepreneur or business person would be your strong sets. And then the idea is that you invest all of your time and effort into those four things. The, the other six really don't matter. And so as part of this um, business accelerator program I was a uh, part of in 2016, I, um, I got to sit with a professor at the local university uh, who is actually the director of the business department and have him analyze that. And so he's like, man, this leadership and uh, knowledge and these four things are like, you are a classic leader. That is your job. And I'm like, that's great because, you know, I worked for two and a half years at another business for someone else. So I'm not the barista. I'm not the roaster. Um, I'm ultimately in my business now working finally and I don't really know what my job is, so I must be the leader. So I need to work with these folks and help you know, listen to their needs, fix their problems, help them fix their own problems. Great. And he goes, well, hold on. Normally we don't ask you to care about the other six because those are kind of irrelevant. You're, they're not your strong skill. But if you are considering taking investment you know, as part of your plan to grow your business, number 10 cannot be profitability. You cannot let the worst attribute you have out of 10 be the thing that people want you to be number one. They want to see you have a sound business. And by the, it sounds like you don't take it that serious. And the reality was I didn't have anybody to talk to about this stuff. I had no clue, first of all, what about finance. You know, I remember I came out of the banking industry as a 401k educator. So immediately people go, well, you're a brilliant financial guy. You came from the banking industry. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Uh, you uh, – you don't understand. I'm the advocate. I'm the guy that had to like justify to an employee why they shouldn't have eaten that Big Mac on the way to work because that's the difference between them having enough money in retirement or not. Like that has nothing to do with financial wizardry. That is straight up people spend too much money, right? So I did a few things right. I hired someone to help me build a a basic uh, financial package um, that we you know have continually refined as our business changed to be a better f- business. Person, we are running uh, profit and loss statements relatively successfully, but can always be better. Measuring where we at, but you know we're continually trying to improve and improve and improve. And I'm learning as I go, um, and I'm learning as I go in the business the entire way too. Um, but it wasn't quite enough because even though I did those things, my bookkeeper wasn't understanding of our industry. They didn't know anything about coffee and like why? Why do you have these people? All those so many people. Why do they? Who drinks this much coffee? I mean, they have all these questions they, they can't answer. They're not, they're not really there to help look forward. They look backwards and just tell the story. So, uh, with through numbers. So, I needed that guidance and help. And I've 
learned as time goes on, we have to reach out and get help for those things. So um, I just want to throw you in. Here's, the, here's how a coffee professional enters. You know, we do research. We create a vision. We're supposed to plan. Um, we build strong finance. Uh, we, we pick a great location. We've got to hire the right people and train them. We're supposed to open our business. And, then of course, it's never perfect, so we regroup it. We become profitable, and then we repeat it. Is that how it works? No. No, you, you buy a coffee roaster with your credit card. Okay? You, you lease a building. Uh, you go then to a bank and say, look what I did. Um, and because I worked for another business, I had great financial – like I was the best-looking financial uh, success story of any startup entrepreneur because I had a nice cushy job with an income. I wasn't already quit and were looking to, hey, give me money. I don't have a job. I have no way to pay this back. Um, then I hired the persons. We made some beans brown. And then I was like really reconsidering whether this was a good idea or not. <laughs> because at that point, it was too late. I was in it. So that, that's kind of like the reality a lot of us go through. We think one thing, but it ends up being very different. Um, and sometimes we get a little bit, what's the word? Um, we get self-conscious about it. You know, Nobody wants to know. For example, nobody wants to tell you how much money they make, um, and you don't want to ask that question. But we all kind of want to know the answer, and we need to know the answer. Um, but we, we we just don't get – this is something you don't do in our culture, right? We don't ask those questions. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that here shortly um, in some surveys and some, uh, some really good data that's been provided to us that I hope you consider uh, using. So all right, so when I think about businesses and, and what you need to make a great business – Coffee shops are really good at these things, at least right now specialty coffee and where the industry is going, where we started in 2013, and the things that I think we did really well are pretty much characterized on here. You know, we come up with a great concept. You, you design, like, what kind of a shop do you want to be? Do you want to be pour-overs only? Do you want to be espresso bar? I mean, you design what you want to be. You create a strategy. You go through and, and, and build a plan, a financial plan or a uh, – not so much a financial plan, but, like, here's how we're going to market. Here's how we're going to hire. Here's all those things. You do the hiring. You put great employees in there and commit to that. I heard someone earlier saying that they, uh, in another in a great presentation in the room next door to us, uh, say that uh, they're getting ready to start a business, and so it's going to take them six months to like get those people up to specialty coffee status to be certified in their their facility. But that's that's the goal, right? Uh, we create great aesthetics. I mean, pretty much every new coffee shop that opens is just just a little bit cooler and different than the other one, right? But it's not really a differentiator. It's just it's part of the aesthetic. It's what makes customers happy and excited to go into your shop. And then the last thing, of course, you have to consider, and these are not necessarily one more important than the other. They're just part of the plan, is a great product. You, know, you want to make awesome coffee. Um, these are all things that are re- relatively subjective, right? There, there's nothing that's like saying that um, there is a right concept that works and then you're going to be fine. You, know, you can't just do these things. There's no book for this, right? You, just, you make your own and you're a unique individual. But – a better business idea would be to add this one fact, this one piece to it, which is adding another pie piece. And this is about being financially prepared to manage your business. And I'm not just talking about having enough money in the bank. We can have an entire discussion on financing your business. This is about getting intimate with the numbers and, and using that in a way that makes your business just as cool as the product or the concept or the strategy um, or the aesthetic any of those things. So no, very few people will put f- good finance as one of their key values. It's just not something that you want to go tell your, 
your barista, you know, make that latte art perfect, smile and say thank you to the customer, and remember to put the money in the drawer because we need that. <laughs> it's, but it's the reality. We have to do that. And um, it's my plea to you, and this is a personal story about myself, uh, but it's a plea to you and all of us together really as a coffee community to make sure that that financial conversation is a huge part um, of, of developing the role of a barista and all the support, team, the support team that you have. If you don't, it will make your life an utter nightmare. And if you are in business and have been doing this for a while and you're tired of people thinking that your business is so successful because you have great aesthetics, you just moved to a $1.1 million uh, building renovation that you had very little to do with, but it just looks like you built this massive facility and that your lines are out the door, so you must be making money like crazy. The reality is it's not like that. I mean, we're, we're very alone, and so we need to make sure that the finance aspect of it gets great. Um, I'll throw this in real quick before I get into the, the story. Um, I spent time listening to farmers explain their, their, their struggle with how at the coffee shop level we're charging between 3 and $4 a cup and in some cases a lot more. But the average cup of coffee, as it trickles down the chain, ends up putting about a nickel for every cup of coffee sold to the farmer. And we're worried about raising our prices 5 or $0.10 cents or 25 or $0.30. Cents. And, of course, they want to know, where's that money going? Is it not coming to you? And w- one of the questions that we couldn't answer because it, w- it would have seemed very insensitive or hard to understand was that I'm trying to get my, my revenue lines up to break even. So if I give you that $0.10 cents that they deserve for that coffee, I'm still not able to be in business forever. I need to fix that problem first before I go to the other one. So um, this is a really honest and true story um, that I'm going to tell you about my business in the last five years. And much like going to the doctor's office in a teaching university, I'm going to lay it all out on the table for you. Um, I would ask that you don't necessarily share this publicly with the world. Um, but at the same time, I'm putting it here, and I'm happy to argue um, or share my story as, in hope that it helps you understand um, how to better run your business, and then so we can share information and become smarter about running our coffee businesses for the future. So, this is a story about my business in the last five years. I opened in June of 2013. Um, so for half a year, and the rest of that year, as a roaster retailer, uh, we became a, uh, or we we sold, you know. $113,000 worth of goods and services, okay? I'm just using these numbers. These are top-line numbers. If you're thinking about a profit and loss statement, I'm going to kind of walk you through this. This is the part that's the most apparent to you. Um, it's the part that we run with every day. We're always comparing ourselves. Hey, man, we just got to do a little bit more. Can you sell like two more cups of coffee? Or can we sell one or two more bags? And it'll push our top line up, and we're going to be fine. If you're in the wholesale roasting and retailing business and you have wholesale customers, have you ever been in a scenario where they are saying to you, all I got to make is $250 a day and I'm good. Like that's all I got to do. And then it's when they get there, that's all I got to do is do $375 a day and I'm good. And then it's 500 and it's so it's, you're chasing a number. This is the easiest one for people to see because it's the thing that's at the register. Your staff can count the number of coffees they sold and they made, they feel it, they know it because this is what, this is what they're doing. So that's the first line. And, and sales guys will tell you that sales is where it's all at. This is the beginning of the process and it's the most important part of the process. And it kind of is, but it's, it's part of an entire process that I find um, we don't place equal emphasis on all parts. So I want to give you an idea, especially for those of you that are not in business that don't know these numbers or have never seen it graphically represented this way. I want to show you what the cost of goods on that was. And these are real numbers. I took real percentages and I filled up the buckets here. Think of these like buckets. And at the end of the day, we want to see some room at the top, please. Room at the top. 
Cost of goods. Um, average cost of goods in our first year, it's always really high. It was around 50% almost. It was really high. We have, and, and granted, our financials were not that great back then. Um, you can almost just cut that year off and kind of forget about it um, because what a true loss is in a year and what you report in your income is very different than what you show on a P&L statement. Remember, you go to the bank or you go to your, your wizardry tax advisors and they – they tell you what your real loss was. That number is really $76,000 a year, but it wasn't a loss in a sense like we, we literally paid out that much. There was a lot of operating cost in there. Uh, but so years three or 14, 15, 16, and 17, the costs remain relatively flat. I think our average cost of goods in that time frame is around 40, 45%. I mean, we run a retail and a wholesale business. It started off as a wholesale uh, retail experience. So we wanted to sell wholesale roaster. And we had this tiny little espresso machine and a bar and three table or three chairs around a single table. That was our model. We wanted to just be selling coffee in a retail environment. Um, and then we ended up becoming one of the larger and most high volume cafes in our community because we needed specialty coffee really bad. Um, and going to people to sell you coffee to make their product better is a lot harder process than just doing it yourself. And that's that kind of shifted how we planned. So uh, year three, we did over half a million dollars. And that was the year that I quit my job at the bank and I went to work for myself. And that we did a renovation in that year um, to in- improve our facilities as part of the expansion of me leaving and expanding the business, bought some equipment. Um, all the way up through uh, – we clipped a million last year and I was super excited about that. Um, that was – it's kind of like every kid's dream, you know. It's like, you know uh, – uh, my wife wanted a, a, a white wedding dress on the beach. You know what? You know, mine was like I got to make a million bucks. So that was kind of a, a, a near a landmark year for us in a way. So we had a lot of exciting things that happened last year, um, and we went and it catapulted us into 2018, which has been a good year. All right. So the the biggest expense that each of you all have, and I should point out by the way, I'm going to cut labor expense and ex, uh, labor expenses or costs separate than your operational costs. Those are two different things, even though they're and they are separated on your basic profit line or profit statement. Um, but they are not necessary. They're harder to see. My QuickBooks account doesn't give me a total of my operational expenses. It just gives you a listing, and then it totals it into your labor as a total cost. So just keep them separate, please, because it's very important. Um, so there's your labor costs, and now we're starting to run out of expense there. Our labor costs, we ended last year because the expansion was a little over 50%. So think about that. <laughs> if I told you one's 40, one's 50, we're squeezing it down and hardly anything. Who is, again, not started a business yet, but thinking about it? Are you just scaring you at all? Okay. Okay. I hope so. Cause I'm not, I'm not going to apologize if you decide not to do it. Like it's may not be the best scenario. All right. The last part is operational expenses. And, um, what, uh, what I put there, a different shade of blue. You can tell it goes off the chart there on the far right. Um, and there's only two spots in there. Um, these are, by the way, operating expenses are all the things that you have to spend money on, like rent. Um, but they're not necessarily labor. They're not your um, cost of goods, okay? Um, pardon me? So it depends on how you do your books. Obviously, the IRS is generous in that if we spend under 2500 bucks, I believe, we can gen- we can push it into that, those categories. I can tell you with ex- with last year, we actually pulled that out because of a, a sale, a portion of our business. There was a tax advantage for us to take those out. So I, it would have been way worse. Let's put it that way. Um, so, so to get to the very end, the red, the red spots are the part that's, I'm in the red most of the time. And two times I've been out of the red. I think it's important to see like, and I don't put the percentages on here, but in 2013, we suffered, you know, like a 37.9% loss, which is equivalent of like, I don't know, like 
$30,000 or something like that. I mean, it wasn't a huge number, but it was a big number. And this last year, we only suffered an 8.9% loss, but it was $100,000. So, I mean, it's relative, right? It's very important and it's very concerning um, because sometimes these things are so problematic that you can't dig yourself out of them. And you're honestly living a dream that is never going to be reality. And how far are you going to go down and dig into it before you start to try to figure out how to get out? Now, I don't necessarily come with all the answers. In fact, I'm here at SCA every year now to help figure those things out, to meet people like you. I've met some good friends now in the audience that I know we're going to have conversations afterward. There's a guy um, on, the, on the third floor giving a presentation right above us on a similar topic who came here to say, I'm so sorry I can't be in your presentation because I'm giving mine right now. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I wanted to go to yours too. Like we need to learn from each other. Um, so um, I'll get back to that here in a minute. But one important statement I learned when I was in the accelerator program was this right here. You as a business owner are spending way too much time working in your business and you're not spending nearly enough time working on your business. And if you can think of that um, and, and it's a reality, then how are you going to give yourself more time? Like what can you do besides go to a conference once a week or once a year for a week? Like what can you do in everyday life? Um, and, and some of that's just talking with other business owners and starting to have an open conversation with your staff. But sometimes you need data to really support your conversation. So one year ago, um, I was fortunate to be at RICO, and the second, I think, speaker of the entire event was uh, Heather Ward, who is the director of research here at the SCA. And she spoke about a program called the Benchmarking Survey. Did anybody participate in that particular program? Okay. Who has heard of it? Okay. So there's quite a few that heard of it. Only a couple that participated in it. Um, if those of you that participated in it, these books um, were published, and this is the results of that survey. Um, just real briefly about this, uh, there was a 2000, I believe, 14 or 15 um, survey of 200 roasters and retailers around the United States. Basically, it said very basic information: where we stand financially, you know, as your profit, um, your um, Return on assets, um, those like they're like three ba basic things, just to establish some sort of benchmark because we actually have had no benchmarking at all in our industry ever that we can they, they can find, and nothing that's relative and, and new, especially with the current uh, wave of coffee that we're seeing in specialty. So, so um, they they created with third party this program where you could log in. You can put in your financial information. There was like 72 data points and questions. Um, and as long as you had the information in front of you, you could fill this out. And it was great. Um, how many of you logged in and started it and then never looked at it again because it was complicated? <laughs> so uh, it's really unfortunate. As, as important as this was, and I, like, I ran out and I met her. I said, I want to talk to you about this. This is what I can do because I'm not the barista. I'm not the roaster. I'm a businessman who's trying to lead a business it was growing, and I wanted to see it grow. And this is my, my contribution. You know, one year from now, I'm going to be standing on that stage and talking. I got to come here instead, but that's great. Uh, so I think I need to be in the business a little longer to speak at RICO. But that benchmark survey spoke directly to me. And so I was eager in, this, in the June, July, August, whenever that was, they released that information to go see where I stood. And that confidential information goes in, and when you put good information in, you hopefully get good information out. And then I get a call. It's like, hey, we're having a really hard time getting people to sign up for this thing. Well, why is that? It's real simple. You're good on your profit and loss statement. You do this or that. I got to answer a few questions about how many bags of coffee, where's it from? I mean, these are things that you know can rattle off the top of your head. The, 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 I think the number is around 150 
companies contributed to this. And it was just like, wait a minute, this, we've been given this gift of information, and, and, but you have to contribute. You have to be able to participate for everybody to be a part of it. Why didn't this work out? And we started hypothesizing this as I'm trying to think about this presentation. And I said, I wonder if people are really – like the profit and loss statements are actually usable. And she's like, yeah, we kind of get that idea too. Like it's – we think we're doing well, but then we're really not. But nobody wants to talk about that because we have the best uh, – the wood on our bar. We have the best subway tile. We have all these things that really perceive – and we're busy and our employees are making awesome coffee. And it's – so anyways, this this came out. I'm just – it's a plug for this. If you didn't participate in the survey, um, I don't know how to get a hold of the electronic document. These are pricey. These are research studies they paid lots of money for. I think you have to pay 175 bucks for this um, if you want to purchase it. Um, maybe you know a roaster or retailer that did participate. Um, but if you want to know exactly the, you know, like, uh, let me pick on one that's a little bit more obvious. But there's so much information here. Groups by profit leaders, where all the coffee's going, uh, what's the percentage of like the average rate or the average percentage return that you're going to earn, expect to earn your business. It's all right there. So I've used that information actually for me to start to figure out what's my target. And I've actually even I wrote a note here to mention I've used that information to negotiate lease on that operation I have in the downtown building. You know, I had someone coming to me saying, I want you to, to come bring your amenity to my people and um, I'm going to charge only $32 a square foot for you to do that. And I said, what do you, what's the opportunity? Well, we've got 220 tenants. This is in a different building, by the way, that I said no to. 220 tenants. They're all lawyers. If you know about lawyers, they're stingy and they charge a lot. Um, they, they, and it's in a really cool up-and-coming part of town which is like the ones with the huge giant parking lots and the, and the really big buildings and, and the restaurants and everything. So it means there's like, it's very, not very dense at all. And I said, let's sit down at the bar and just hang out and drink coffee and talk. And I'll get my square application out and I'll just let you see the transaction as they come through. And so we started watching that transaction. And um, I explained this to someone yesterday. And uh, I think it was Nicholas Cho. He said, uh, they see the people that are busy but they don't see the actual transaction that happens. So they perceive you as being way more successful. And when we watch for 45 minutes on a busy you know, Tuesday at 10 o'clock, which is like our busiest hour of the day, and we made like $140, and he was like, you, had, you served that many people and had a line out the door for over an hour, and you made like only a few hundred bucks? I'm like, yeah, because they're buying 3 and $4 at a time. You can't, you can't make money in a $32 environment. So then we use that as an experience, this, this tool actually, to say the average coffee shop of our category is only going to expect to make about 6.9% at the end of the year, that, that, that black part. That's it. So why would I negotiate more rent than I'm ever going to possibly be able to pay back? Ever. So, um, and that's been really useful to us. So, I would encourage you to consider that as well. Um, how you can use information like this to establish what is the average cost of goods in your industry, in your sector, by region, if you get enough data. Um, so, you know that, hey, you know, I'm not, I don't know necessarily how much the coffee shop next to me is making, but I know that if I'm hitting this marker, I'm probably okay. But if I'm at 50% labor cost and the rest of the market's at 37 or 8 or whatever the number is, I got a real problem here. That is, that is going to be what my CFO now I've hired says. This is what we call uh, something that jumps off the page. <laughs> that. So, basic profit and loss statement. This is straight out of the book. Um, obviously, it's not exactly full and it's not perfect. Um, um, 
you need to know sales, your cost of goods, labor, operate, and net profit. And so to relate this back to where I was when I was an educator in the 401k world, I I had to break down the basics. Like I said, no coefficients, ratios, all those things don't are not relevant to a person needing to save more money. It was the most basic of stuff. How much you're taking in, how much you're paying out, what are you going to need in the future, which is a derivative of that. So this is your basic stuff right here. And we all know that if you see a P&L statement, it's all right there. But start there. I created a handout that um, I'm supposed to plug. You can go download it on the, the little application. Um, and uh, I, all I did is just make it simpler for you to do something you should do. I didn't recreate anything. I think ultimately I would like to take this into a digital format that allows a person to plug in the information with their staff. So you can kind of go sit down at your quarterly meeting and say, okay, I've, I've entered the data. Go put it in that little calculator. Someone with some basic Excel wizardry could do something pretty cool with this. And then you take that information and you walk into the, the cafe. You go behind the bar, the place where nobody else sees but them. And you have like, I don't know, there's a, there's a, a, a simpler way of doing this. It's just visual. And you say, hey, it's green. That means good. Our sales are good. Our, our labor is good. And you're just communicating with your staff about these things in the most simple of ways. Your, your, your management team, they need to know more about the numbers. You teach them a little bit about those cost of goods, where they could be better at, or let them figure that out. Actually, that's more empowering to let them see what the cost of goods are. Um, showing your barista a profit and loss statement would literally make their head explode in most cases. But your person who's your ops manager seeing one like I did, looking at the advertising number or looking at the uh, – the, it was the meals and lunches for all the trainings that we did. Why did we spend $2,500 on food the last year on lunches? Like wh- why? I'm like, great. You're asking great questions. If I never showed you that, you never would have seen that. So let them see the impact of the decisions that they can maybe make. So just start somewhere. This, I mean this is so simple. It's not that useful, and it's certainly not useful if you don't actually put it to use. So um, I would hope to think that in uh, the future I would be able to provide you with something like that. There's a lot of really good financial calculators that exist in the world. Um, none of them are designed for our business. Nothing is, just so you know. Like very little is designed and you have to kind of make it. Uh, but this is where I think the bigger conversation starts like right now where we are not satisfied with that. We let our, our organizations, we let SCA know that this is something that's important. Judging by how many people are standing in the hallway here listening, this is of importance to all of us. And they will listen and take um, – help us consolidate like some methodology uh, up to the point where we, we violate antitrust laws because we don't want to start controlling the, the costs because that would be illegal. But we definitely need to know. We kind of need to know where we stand. So um, you've got to make a difference. So a few th- suggestions would be to commit to some sort of a routine. My company, what we've decided to do, and I'm just telling you right now, we, we don't know the answers. We are learning as we go. Um, but we are committed to the routine. Every month we sit down on the second Monday after every month, and we sit down and we go through a profit and loss statement that allows my bookkeeper, my controller, who's my wife, to receive all that monthly end stuff and then uh, f- at least have one Thursday, which Dan, the Superman financial guy, come in and help me make sure my P&L statement works and that our cash flow statements and all those things are together so that Monday we roll in and we have a, a s- swift one-hour chat. Where are we at? Um, and then – we do every quarterly. We're committed to going through a two-hour session with that with our leadership team. I'm talking to my five people that are really my five right-hand people um, that run each department or and are controlling. And we we go through this process to know 
th- this is where we establish those goals. This is where we establish whether we actually did ourselves, uh, did for us what we said we were going to do, our accountability part. These are all um, just – and we don't know the answers yet. We're just committed to the process. The other part is engaging others. So I can't go see all 56 employees and tell them how good of a job they've done helping affect the bottom line. But each of their leaders and their co-leaders can do that as well. Um, so engaging my team at kind of the top level and then teaching them how to communicate. Maybe something as simple as a green or a red or something that's on a marker board in the kitchen or something that re- that's relevant to them to know where they can participate and how their impact is. Do the work and do the work in a way that is just as important as everything else that you value in your business from the aesthetics to the product to the customer service experience. All of that is equal, at least an equal uh, to to the understanding and managing of your personal finances. Um, and, of course, have fun with it. You know, uh, I've read – I read a lot of books. Um, I went from reading like one book a decade to last year I think I read 14 or 15 books all on business and – um, and how to be a better person. And um, Ari Weinswig, who is one of the co-founders of um, Zingerman's, thank you, has written quite honestly the longest novels I've ever read, and it's really slowed down my rate at which I can finish books. But they talk about open book finance as part of like one of the pillars. You know, they make great food, we make great service, and we make great profit. Like that is a key. Because without the profit side, you have no no ability to add value and continue serving and supporting your community the way they do. And, and they're not shamed of that at all, um, and, it, and it works really well. I and mean, they do it in a really fun way too. So. Um, so the next steps, of course, go back and look at your profit and loss statement. And is it cleaned up? First, do you have one, first of all? Let me go back a little bit because according to the conversations I've had regarding the SCA's awesome benchmarking study, which, by the way, kind of sort of got killed because the participation was so low and we lost that. Uh, continued thing. We don't know what will happen in the future to it, but right now it's 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 not coming back until we demand it comes back, and that takes action. Um, but go get the information and make sure it's there. And if you don't have a good system set up and it's not being re- routinely recorded, hire someone to do it. Please hire someone to do it. The smartest thing I ever did was hire a bookkeeper from day one. Well, it's like two months in, uh, and then they spent six months fixing all the crap that we screwed up in the first year. And it's true. And I've, and I've never said that wasn't an important part of our business ever since. Um, know your metrics. So you may not know what they are, like what they should be, but by starting to log the data, whether you know if it's useful or not, at some point it will. You know, I don't define my business based on one month or one week um, or even a quarter. Like that's not how we're defined. Um, but it's a sum of understanding how you respond and react to the things that happen within those periods of time. So just get comfortable with the numbers, see them coming in. Um, and then you'll begin to understand what those metrics are, what they should be. Um, create business alliances, and I probably spelled that wrong, but I don't care. Um, you have business alliances with other people that are like you um, in the most careful way you can. It's hard to do that, just so you know, in your own communities. You know, I started a collective of, uh, of we call it the, the ICT, which is Wichita's call letters on an airplane um, or airport um, code, uh, coffee c- consortium. And it's you know a bunch of folks that get together and hang out and talk, but like we never get into the conversation of finance and money because it's hard to have that conversation. We're, we're perceived as being too competitive. But here, I don't compete against my friends in Austin, Texas, 
And I guarantee you we have the same problems. We come from the same places. So maybe we could have a conversation just to check to see if we're doing it right. Um, so create those business alliances and show up to events like this and keep talking about this stuff. And then the bigger part and probably the one that we all could do better is being a better leader in your organization because it takes you to take pride in finance and teach this and make it just as cool as an awesome cup of coffee. If you don't, good luck. It's going to be hard. So anyways, thank you very much. Andrew is now taking questions from the audience. The first member asks about Andrew's practice of sharing financial data with his employees. What does he share? What does he not share? And how does Andrew incentivize and reward his employees on those metrics? Great question. I don't believe the microphone is on. Um, so for those of you that didn't hear, uh, how to uh, how do I engage with the employees? Um, are there incentives tied to that? So I'm here to actually learn as much as I am here to preach to y'all, lecture y'all about how you should run your business. I honestly should be sitting in the audience with you learning. Um, so we're in the process of, of extreme growth in our company, and therefore our time devoted towards this topic has been very lacking. And so, like I mentioned, we've gone through a big changeover recently with, a, with our new cafe and uh, almost tripling our staff in the matter of um, 47 days, I think. And so we've not had time for this. So how am I – I'm not able to do exactly what you're saying. I'm actually here to motivate myself to do that. And I had to start with my leadership team first. So um, how do we have that conversation in the past? I would – you know, some of my employees are here. I would open up almost every one of my staff meetings, which we do not do nearly enough of those because they're incredibly expensive, like to the tune of $1,200 every time we sit down, which is too much money. Um, I always start off with a where we are financially. So we talk maybe about sales, probably the wrong things. We talk about um, – our expenses, where we've been. Uh, if it's a year end, you know, one year we actually made a tiny profit, and I actually paid out three uh, percent to my employees of what I earned. You know, just a, it's a small amount. People earn from as little as seven dollars to, I think, someone made like ninety bucks, but it was something. You know, I gave up something. Um, so that's a sort of a kind of a reward. And I think where I'm going with it is that because we do the planning, the budgeting. By the way, just so you know, the word budget is not limited to how much you spend. It's how much you earn too. So if we budget earnings in our wholesale or in our cafe or in our second cafe or our new cafe that's opening this summer um, in, in the library, and we budget the earnings and then manage the expenses and budget those expenses, then there's a lot of room there to be able uh, to provide incentive to people. The audience member now asks Andrew whether he shares his sales figures with just the team leaders or all of his employees. The audience member says he is deciding whether to let his employees feel the financial pain, quote-unquote, of his business, and is wondering whether sharing this information will motivate them or not. It all, uh, what I've read is it all depends on how you present it. If you present it as an opportunity for them to participate and engage them in the process, so it's not telling them the hard truth so much as sharing with them in the struggles and how they can be a part of the solution. Um, you know, there's a book, I think it's one minute manager talks about, uh, the monkeys are on your back. Those are the things that bother you and fix, you know, it's not the people, it's their, their lack of being able to come up with a solution to an answer or an answer to a question they are about to present to you that takes away from your ability. And to me, it's like the monkey in that scenario is like, it's present because I've not even given them anything at all to like understand. And so I'm going to start with that. Um, and then I'm going to hope that they come back and find solutions rather than come back with more questions. But, um, yeah, and on the reward side of it, just so you know, like my intention is, is that on a leadership level, we have one 
methodology for calculating on budgeting. And then we have overall company-wide, and that might be presented like in a quarterly and then an annual, of course, if there is a profit. I've committed always to giving a percentage of whatever profit I earn. And that's coming straight from me. That's not a company thing. That is like me paying it right back into the company. So because I have partners, and then maybe they don't want to do that. So, but I'll make them do it. So anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Hi, Hi Andy. I'm Nick from Mighty Good Coffee in Ann Arbor. Um, I really appreciate your candor so much, yeah. and I wish I wish it weren't taboo to be able to talk about things like this. Have you had, or are you planning to have, considering where you are, revenue goals specifically for wholesale, retail? And food, because we're in a similar mm-hmm. space where we have no. all of those things. So no percentage plan of no. we want this, we want that. I, with that. I, one thing I always talk about when I speak is I, especially if I'm around coffee folks, which is not that often when I get to be around this many awesome professionals. But I'll say, where did you come from in your business? Like I came from financial services. Um, I know photographers and tech guys and all these people come from all walks of life and they make their way to coffee for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Very few people are born into it in, in here. Um, so um, I wasn't born in the restaurant industry. In fact, my college degree at K-State, Kansas State University, uh, started – I have a PR degree. My first year I was in hospitality and I said I would never run a restaurant or business, <laughs> never. Uh, and then that's where I ended up. But um, I didn't – I don't know uh, what kind of sales goals we should have had. We had ideas. We had to plan in order to get loans, um, to find investors, um, to finish our project because we ran out of money and time. Um, it, we didn't know. And so we're kind of like, hey, let's just make the best ricotta lemon pancakes first on the kitchen side. Or we got lucky and found the bread baker, stole it from Portland. For those of you from Portland, you're going to be sad. You lost your bread baker. Um, and now we're like, okay, it's kind of back the way we started. Let's start, make the product and then figure out how to make it work. Sometimes you just don't know, like Wichita loves to look at bread. They don't like to buy it. And so our awesome Portland baker like comes to work every day, and she makes as many laminated things as you can make. But she can't sell these amazing loaves of bread. We put them on every food that we serve, and they like it. But loaves of bread just don't go out the door, and that hurts inside. So we don't know. But wholesale, like that's adding a wholesale line that we ha- we're adding um, and scaling that part. So we just don't know. Um, but our intention is to figure out kind of where we're at, measure against the metrics, then because that's all you got otherwise. And so hey, if they're running at fifty six percent cost of uh, labor something's got to fix. And at some point we're going to have to have a hard reality, you know, like, is this working or not? Like putting table side service, is that really the solution? Especially when your customers complain, number one, about they don't get served when you sit down. So that sucks. And then second, uh, you're not like a coffee shop anymore. Well, is the coffee shop world changing? Is it different? Because I'm tired. I don't want to do the same thing everybody else did. I'm sorry. There's no room to be innovative in coffee anymore. Like there's literally specialty was it, and now it's there. So what, what do you do now? So we look at other service opportunities. Um, and so we don't know what that costs. Apparently a lot. A lot. So go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm Justin Durham. We have a um, – my brother and sister and I have a second-generation um, roaster retailer, cafe, wholesale. And a lot of the, our conversation is just analyzing the margins between retail and wholesale. So I was wondering if you could just talk about um, what you're seeing in your business five years in of just the margins between retail and wholesale and how that's influencing your vision for growth long term. And when, to be clear, margins as in um, cost of goods 
Or just are you talking the, about then, your, your actual net, profitability? Well, yeah, basically what we <clears throat> call it our contribution to overhead, right. corporate overhead. So, yeah, all in, fully loaded. Okay. Um, yeah. I'll do my best. So here's the thing. In five years, when we started our company, we used QuickBooks Online and we had one employee. So labor was just like they did everything from scrubbing the toilets to making coffee. Um, and then you added two and then three and four and then the roasting team starts to, to kind of develop and then you have the cafe side. But they're all still in one pot. So if I said how much of the profit is attributed to one group or the other, it's kind of hard to measure that because the same person who's doing the roasting might also be your barista part-time. Right. And it took us four years until it got big enough numbers where we said, hey, you know what? We really need to have categories and switch from this online platform, which when you have a multi-layered business doesn't work. Um, to where we had multiple accounts, and then they're all contributing to one, and that became a nightmare. So then my financial wizard brought it back into one system, and now we've got each thing partitioned. And so we're still in the process. Uh, with the cafe, for example, we are serving food in our downtown location every day. We're shipping it down there every single day. And those are not getting recorded as cost of goods because we have to physically transfer them out of one bucket to another in the system. And we're just concerned about getting sandwiches there by 10 o'clock. Like that's our main concern. So uh, – we don't have – I don't have the perfect answer for that. I know what my cost of goods are in uh, the roastery and our profit margin. You were aiming at about 75 percent, 70 percent profit before you add all your expenses and labor on top of that. Yeah. Um, but where you end up, you know, we don't know because I have baristas that work on the roasting team part-time. Right. And that's because they want to be. That's what they love doing. So – we don't have the answer to that. This roaster retailer will give you an idea because they will. Did you participate in that? Um, you know what? I was in the category mentioned. We started it, got too complicated, and quit. So yeah. it was pretty hard. Yeah. I got sick one day and stayed home and did it for like yeah. four hours. Was, hey, congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I did that, and that's how I watch movies too. Yeah. So, but um, this this does help. And if I could share some of that information, you can get that information relatively easily. I think um, go go get the book and just pretend like you're going to buy it, and then take pictures, and then. No, I mean, get, just get, just go straight to the part that matters because it's yeah. it's really information that's it's 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 for us. It's for us to use. Um, yeah, that's how I was yeah. able to like negotiate like the price of my um, my rent yeah. because I said, hey, you, you expect me to make thirty percent profit every year, but the industry says I'm only going to make six point nine if I'm lucky. So I'm not going to pay you anything until I make ten, <laughs> and they agreed with it. Yeah, well, thank thank you so much. This yeah, an, uh, awesome. I just and when I can't answer your question, yeah. know that we're going to try to create a way after this to keep talking as a group collectively, and I'm really going to push the SCA to help us with that. So, hi, hi, appreciate your presentation. Thank um, you. And one thing I was wondering is on your um, labor costs. Do you include anything for yourself and your yes. wife in that? Yes. Okay. So I want you to understand that that labor cost is inclusive of my salary that is a that is actually salary. And I pay myself um, up until the end of September when we took ownership and had to switch everything. I paid myself a reasonable amount that I would pay someone to do my job. So it's fairly – representative of what you would have paid someone to run your business or um, run you know as a manager so um, I took as a as a distribution of profit out on top of that to help because it's there's no way in hell I could have lived you know I came from a cushy bank job and then I you know went to work in coffee and that killed my pay quite a bit um, but it's okay um, so now starting January my salary has increased dramatically um, but coincidentally so does our 
um, our revenues have increased significantly too as a result. So it's all sort of relative. I think there's a growing problem. We can grow out of some of these challenges. Um, I'm, I'm banking on it because that's the best solution for everybody. Um, laying people off and changing your business is not a good idea. At least it's, it's not a fun one at least. So, sir. My name is Larry Russell uh, from the Bahamas. We have the first specialty coffee shop in the Bahamas. Awesome. In Nassau. Nassau, good. We'll Got go a there. question. Um, do you do an annual budget for your business? No. No budget. This is why I'm having this conversation. It needs because you can't do a budget until you understand where you need to be. And so by the end of this year, I would hope to have completed at least two quarterly budgets to be able to do planning at the end of the year. But my fit, my planning year technically runs your planning in the busiest year you'll ever have or the busiest month. So who wants to sit down and do financial budgeting and planning for January when your sales go up 45 percent? And, and it just doesn't work. And this year, for especially with all of the rapid changes, I wouldn't have been able to put an accurate budget together because we had no idea that our project would be delayed two months, and we would have known. And we would have we missed out on you know two hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue. We just wouldn't have worked. It would have been worth the time. We needed to swing hammers and get the place open, which opened on February sixteenth. So like we were with we three construction projects and. Um, uh, holidays to deal with. I also noticed that you have diversified your business. You're doing bakery, you're doing coffee sales, and you're doing equipment sales. And, and a and full service. restaurant too, yeah. Is that, is that the trend in, in the coffee business? Well, that's you- a subject for a whole other conversation, but I will tell you, I personally believe so. I mean, like I said, I started off thinking that I could sell prepackaged cookies and scones and things from local vendors um, and, um, that wasn't enough. You know, you, you can't make it on, um, you can't make it alone on the coffee and, and those little transactions. Coincidentally, to be more candor than I can be, we opened a f- full blown, the best brunch restaurant in our, in our community. It is hands down the best food today. Uh, for example, they're making, um, challah, uh, French toast, pecan crusted french toast like just today for fun like that's how good this is and um um i don't know where i was going with that other than i just wanted to think about that for a little bit no um like we 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 knew that food had to be a part of the equation um we just didn't know to what extent um but like our, our our business has completely changed as we've grown we've continually listened to what customers want, which I feel is a very big part of the specialty coffee industry. Um, I'd say we've strayed a little bit from our coffee roots, and that is a big part of some of the, the the toughness that we're going through right now with these new employees that don't know specialty coffee. They're serving, and they're not a part of that, um, and we need to get back to that for sure. So, Final question. We're doing about 38% in coffee sales, about 42% in food 3842 okay and then about 15% in pastries and then the rest is retail okay uh, is that typical of what you're doing or what are your numbers um, in terms oh, of I, here's my point about the brioche french toast uh, or the hollow french toast is that we thought that if we put a $10 item on the menu and our 4 or $5 coffee that we would get to that 15 or $16 price like per transaction so prior to 2000 
2018, we were averaging about $8.56 a transaction on all throughout the year, and that's including all retail, everything. And it went to 960. It only went up a dollar. And it was like I was going to use my negotiating powers of getting it up to 15 to 20 to drop my costs on my credit card transaction. And it went up a dollar. So guess what? I get to keep paying, you know, square for my transaction because it ends up being pretty cheap. But yeah, it's tough. Like, um, we, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I could just talk about this ad nauseum. Like, I don't have the, all the answers. I just know that we need um, we need to start thinking more clearly about it. And I think once everybody starts doing that, it's going to help all of us um, grow as an industry. Just the ratio on your food versus coffee. Versus oh yeah, I, I totally avoided that, that one. Yeah. Um, I think right now, I think in terms of like I have a wholesale, I, in which I think is very it's separate. Like the gross sales you saw were everything. I think our cafe did. Um, 750,000 in sales. And then the whole company did about a little over a million last year. So um, I'm I'm aiming for 55%. That's what I'm gaining going forward, which you're actually doing better than me. 55% um, coffee, um, no more than 55% coffee, like at least 45. So you're, I mean, you're, you're flip. Did you say you're doing 44 plus 15 in food? Uh, I'm doing, I'm doing 35, about 38 in coffee, in, in coffee. Yeah, and so you're, I think you're doing well. I think you're doing really well. I would love to be where I'm. Majority of my exp- is not coffee. Yeah, because people buy one cup of coffee. They they buy one, right? They'll they'll buy booze and you know four or five beers, but one cup of coffee. So I, yeah, I think it needs to be the smallest part of your business, almost not the smallest, but yeah. Hi, I'm uh, Mark from Toronto. Uh, Quick question for you. In terms of your marketing, uh, you know, there's typical channels like social media, email, you know, to draw in reach or upsell or increase frequency. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you seen anything in terms of marketing or different channels that you've explored that have led to your growth over the five years? Um, Well, like most of y'all in your business, you probably utilize as much free marketing as you can get, which turns out it's not really free. When you have to devote labor and time to making it, you know, we started off with an iPhone shooting pictures of whatever we were doing, and then it turned into like the aesthetic side. Got we we weren't as cool as our favorite shops in Oklahoma, Kansas City, Colorado. So we, you know, every one of your staff members probably has a really nice camera and is an aspiring photographer. We all have one, so then they become kind of in charge of the aesthetics, and and so I've seen a, a value, um, a big change in how we're perceived in the industry based on we've kind of grew up our, our, we have a really nice Instagram feed. I mean, it looks good. The food it tastes good, but it really looks good too. Um, and same with the coffee, but, um, it's really hard to measure. Like I can't ask them how much they, what's the ROI on the time you spent. It's impossible for us. Um, you have to get into some really big, um, agreements with companies to help you with those things. And none of us typically do that unless you were really large. We're not buying, Big data, and uh, you know, I, I sat at a um, our, our cable provider. You know, they don't sell ads on TV very much anymore, so they sell you online distribution of, of ads. And you know, they're talking about the click rate on a, an app. In app is like it's the next thing, and I'm like, why? Well, because people are spending, you know, of the 92 percent of the time they're on their phone, it's 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 in app. It's not on social media. It's doing something different. And so, um, I don't have a. I kind of look back and say, how much did we do this year? Um, this year, I feel like we're going to spend less as a percentage, but we've been ritualistically like every day, every year I go back and I add up all of the free gift baskets. I add up all of the, 
donated services that we did from the charitable functions. Um, we don't do a lot of cash donations because, quite frankly, we don't have much cash. It's hard to do that. Um, cash has very little impact too, and that's a big part of it too. Little big impact on the big picture things, right? Um, and solving problems. Um, but it's right around five percent of, of of our total revenue. We've we've given up in the form of marketing. So, um, but I've not seen something that. Uh, really, really does make a big difference. Like if I knew that, by the way, we would just put all of our money in that and we would not have a problem, but there's not. You know, We give um, a trade with our local NPR affiliate um, where we get more value out of the relationship by giving them coffee every other month. We split it with another roaster in the community and then we get a buy. Like every year I've bought a little bit more to get to where I'm actually giving as much as I'm paying for. Um, I've worked into it on a budget cash flow-wise. It was hard to give them 300 bucks a month and now we're giving 300 bucks a month and $300 of the trade and I feel like those 3,200 customers that give to that cha- that station are listening to me and and know that like those are my customers. But the terrestrial radio stations, the ones that you know, that play rock music all day long, you know, they want to sell me really expensive ads, and they're not going. I know they're not going to work. But it's hard. Marketing is really tough. You know, um, in wholesale, uh, there is no better marketing than having a well-built website that is optimized, and then a really nice pair of shoes that's comfortable, and you go walk and you go tell people what you do. That's the best way to do that. Awesome. Thank so, you. Yeah, I'm sorry I can't come up with any answers. <laughs> hey, I'm from Ecuador. I have a, a company similar like you in Ecuador. I'm starting to open something in Peru and looking something in Guatemala now. Uh, cool. But very similar models and even uh, invoice. It's, uh, first, thanks for having 15 years coming to the SEA. Right on. I'm impressed with the open, open, open topics. And I see a big opportunity starting to share information about all of our business to contribute our business. Even in Ecuador, we have been trying to put together a couple of people that we, uh, like three or four, I was the president of the association, even to fashion uh, some of our chains and to put, use the same ERP and put things together. And I think the opportunities in, in uh, articulating between companies, like I, I'm sure the main of the room are incredible, but at the end of the point, somebody has to start to do something. So mm-hmm. please, can you start? I give you my card. And <laughs> anyway, I can give you a card, maybe a WhatsApp chat or something like that. Because uh, yeah. I think it was incre- an incredible room yeah. conversation. And I, and I think we all can learn from each other. Right. And uh, instead of asking you a specific question, just a challenge if you can yeah. leader the the Happen ongoing to- process. So my, my intention I mentioned earlier was to see if I can get some sort of facility a facilitated conversation through the SCA that we can continue. I don't want it to be just about me talking to people. I want it to be us talking to each other. Um, mentioned in another class, uh, the Barista Hustle is a great resource. And when I read those posts and I contribute conversation about topics that are relevant to me, um, I see a lot of conversation among baristas, but not so much of business owners. And sometimes the business owners can get kind of angry and and they, they start mansplaining things, and I hate that. And they, um, they've done a good job of limiting that. Um, but there sometimes needs to be like the hard truths backdoor conversation that we don't have us publicly because it can very well – very easily be misinterpreted. You know, Like I was a little bit concerned about putting real numbers on the screen. But then I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll have fun explaining to someone who misinterprets that because I'll always come out looking better. Like I, am, I do care about the community. I want enough to do this. So um, uh, happy to if you are you've got to leave and you want to stay a part of the conversation. If you drop the cards here, I'll safe keep them and um, and then communicate with Heather Ward about how to maybe keep this conversation going. I can't make any promises, um, 
but I'm in it just as much for for my own use. And by the way, it's a really important thing. You can't just give um, it without expecting something in return. I think hourless giving is way better than selfless giving in this scenario because you need something and I need something. And, that, and we'll actually get something done if we have that expectation. And I kind of feel like this has been a good conversation about that. So, yeah, feel free to drop your card and we can chat afterwards too. Hey, Andrew, Shea Hayes with Birdie and Coffee. Good to see Good you to again. Meet you again. Uh, I'm the owner of a coffee restaurant and a couple cafes in southwest Oklahoma. Um, first and foremost, I would agree with you and say, you know, as an audience, this conversation is the most important conversation in our coffee business today. Um, and just like you said, we can't give that money down to these producers if we can't keep our business running. And unfortunately, in our communities, I've watched three to four cafes close and and coffee shop cafes close in the last 12 months and we've been able to succeed over that because we focus on these areas but just like you and everyone else i'm sure here you know this is a real struggle it's a challenge and what i'm relating to you on this is right in the middle of explosive growth you Mm -hmm. know as owners and as operators of these businesses we work in our business because that's what's required of us and it's so hard to pull out um, that's the same challenge I think all of us face, and I'm personally facing right now, is pulling up to focus on the business. Mm-hmm. When we talk about investors to help manage this explosive growth, because just like you showed there, you obviously didn't have any money to invest back in your business. And I've seen your stuff, and I'm watching your photos. I mean, incredible kitchen, incredible products, but I know your business didn't pay for all that. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to bring somebody else's money into it. And yes, the bank has their fees and everybody knows how to get an SBA loan. But when you talk about an evaluation of money you don't actually have because you have no profitability really yet, Mm -hmm. how are you proposing that to investors and showing, hey, I'm in explosive growth. I'm making no money right now. But in five years, we might be 5% or 10% profitable. And this is how I'm going to pitch that to you. So in in general, and then I'll speak specifically about investors, because I think I have a little bit of experience without being part of the accelerator and then actually taking investment and going through that process. Um, But investors are mostly concerned about top line. I mean, they do care about the bottom line, but their top line is, uh, in their eyes, uh, something they can work with, you know, like if I open my doors in my new cafe to nobody showing up and we have all this, then we would have been out of business in two weeks. It would have been completely dead. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Not loans. We got plenty of those too. <laughs> and those are important by the way, go, go get help with SBA with different, thank you. Um, different, um, organizations, uh, we have networks that do nonprofit work and help us with investments and co, uh, they'll take on uncollateralized portions of debt to make it easier for you. Those are all awesome resources to take advantage. Uh, but when it comes to actual investors, uh, they first care about you as a person and whether or not they can work with you. You, your character is number one. Second, that combined with, do you have something that actually works? And so when we present the idea, we're on track to make a million dollars this year, Okay, I can work with that, you know, and then that attract, and it's just a, it's really about uh, uh, matching people together. Then that makes sense. So, um, they want to see that they've got something to improve. You know, I happen to take investment from um, a family LLC that is the the extra money that a family of bankers have. This is their play money, and but what I have is one of my best friends now. As a 36-year-old CEO of the fourth largest bank in Kansas is my kind of like my guide and his father who is the chairman of the board. 
And so I have a mentorship program that is far beyond what anybody else can have. Have they solved our problems? No. They're just they're looking at stuff jumping off the page right now because let's be real, they have to spend all their time developing a big bank. In that particular scenario, it went straight to buying stuff because we ran out of capital. So we we put a hundred thousand dollars worth of money into the kitchen that we were short, and the construction costs that we were short. Our our total construction costs on our big project was not nearly um, uh, as much as it could have been. Like I said, it's a it's a one point two million dollar project, but we only paid about a hundred and ten thousand of that. Hundred twenty. So we we also established a line of credit for our coffee purchasing. And we have another hundred thousand dollars worth of extra debt, and that's layered on top of probably another three hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. So, <laughs> two thousand sixteen, I had anxiety issues, and I stayed up a lot. And I'm not making that up. I read a lot of books in two thousand sixteen, um, and but honestly, it was almost like a calling. It actually worked out for me in the end because I came out of that knowing exactly what I wanted to do, and then we put it on path. And it only took longer because we had delays, construction delays, and things. But it worked. Um, it worked in that we're still here. I'm here to tell you about it. I literally was writing this presentation last week. I was hoping to give you quarterly numbers in there as well. Um, just, just, and just to give you like the positive thing, uh, we've tripled our, our expenses in some ways. Um, but our top line revenues have doubled year, month over month. We went from doing seventy five thousand a month in total sales company wide to over one hundred and fifty thousand. So, like. Life is good in some ways, but I'm still struggling. So, how, how did you evaluate percentage of ownership with those partners? I mean, a hundred thousand of a million dollar business—that's ten percent, right? So they're going to they're devalue the hell out of your business. You know, they come in and tell you how great you are, and then they'll tell you you're only worth like a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. And you kind of, you know, you know, going into a, a, a sale uh, capital raising. I mean, first of all, if you didn't need their help, then that doesn't matter. Like, right. but but if you want their help. They're, they're going to try to get a good deal. So you have to be really careful that you don't get into a scenario where you kind of hurt hurt their feelings and they hurt your feelings to where it's never going to work out. So they kind of helped me realize like you know, on all those metrics that they do look at those metrics. They look at your, your loan. I mean they're, these are bank people. This is what they do. They value risk. And so it was kind of a tough group to go in because they're going to beat you down because uh, they look at your creditworthiness. Um, but one thing they can't figure out uh, without putting a little bit of risk out is how much they value you as a person. And in our scenario, like I'm not a financial wizard, but that's where their expertise is. So they can help me with that. Um, and they're starting to get there. So, I mean, I think we, we raised a total of uh, uh, 200000 in cash um, and uh, they helped secure and back another 150000 in debt. So we looked at it as like a $350,000 contribution, but they only had to physically get up, give up about $200,000. So it was a little bit better valuation. And I actually negotiated it up. I gave them an extra 5% to, to put an extra cushion in there and, and – I mean, to me, if I made 70% of something, it's a hell of a lot better than 100% of nothing. And I feel like I'm in a better position because of it. So, so and, you feel like in that scenario, you were giving up about 30% ownership? Yeah, that's what I did. Awesome. Thanks. Appreciate yeah. you, Andrew. Yeah, feel free to drop your card, and thank you guys so much. That was Andrew Goff at Expo in 2018. Remember to check our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and visit coffeeexpo.org for tickets to this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA podcast. Thank you for joining us.